don't afraid to communicate with the people. And if he didn't get the response you wanted to get, it wasn't you or you just happened to be talking to somebody who has less patience with somebody who don't speak English fluently. And the fact is not because you don't speak fluently. Maybe that person is not used to it because in Japan, John, you might be familiar with that too. When you have to speak English, it's most of the time the school. And unless you put the correct verb or noun in the correct place, you were told that you're wrong. That's mindset. In Japan, we're taught you have to speak perfectly in order to make sense, but that's not true. They don't really care unless you start talking. They won't know what you want to say or try to communicate. So that's how I like to let people know that it doesn't have to be perfect. You're not publishing a book when you're talking to somebody at the store. Welcome to episode seven of Intercultural Insiders. My name is John McGraw, and I help expats and newcomers feel confident in their new country in less time and pain. I am the founder of Hiyaku Coaching, which is dedicated to helping you create your pathway to success in a new culture. The purpose of Intercultural Insiders is to share the stories of people with intercultural experiences. If you're feeling isolated or lost, you can hear something from the guests' experiences that could help you, even if it's just a reminder that you're not alone. By rising to the challenge of adapting to another culture, we can become better versions of ourselves. Today is part two of the interview with Chie Schuler, but first, I'd like to take a moment to reflect. I recently completed a program called Leading and Coaching Across Cultures, led by Philippe Rosinski, who is an intercultural coaching pioneer. He has played an integral role in helping corporations successfully integrate their cultures during and after mergers and acquisitions. It's essential to the success of those mergers. Interestingly enough, during this time, I've had an opportunity to reflect on the spiritual side of coaching. Now, often it seems like there's a divide between life coaching on one side and executive or business coaching on another side. And one is looked at in many cases as being flaky while the other is focused on results. I don't think that divide is a real one. When you have your life in order, when you understand yourself and what your values and your priorities are, you're going to perform better in your career. You'll avoid burnout and you'll be able to focus on what's most important for you in your career, your personal life, all of those aspects. I also recently connected with a professional in the construction industry, and he happens to be a newcomer. We connected through LinkedIn and he invited me out for dinner. Now, in the past, I would have been more focused on a specific goal with that dinner. For example, working out a business arrangement, coming to an agreement of some kind, focusing on getting some kind of outcome out of it. And after all of the work that I've done, working with different cultures and building my own cultural awareness, I came to the realization that 
having that focus on coming to some kind of business arrangement was influenced by my own cultural biases, I think, as someone who lives in the city and also as a Canadian, because in Canada and the US, there's this saying, time is money. So we want to focus on getting things done and getting to the deal and maximizing our time because time is scarce, or at least that's the belief. And that approach can be efficient at times, but it doesn't allow for the development of trust or of relationships, which are essential to doing business in other cultures and other parts of the world. But they're also essential to a richer quality of life. When I met with this new connection for the first time, I just focused on being, on enjoying the moment, enjoying this person's company and giving full attention to what he was telling me. And because of that, I felt we were able to connect on a deeper level and I was able to share with him some things as well. And we talked about having gone through dark periods in our lives, different situations, and then finding purpose he had found a purpose of giving back to society, doing well by doing good, rather than being focused on just making a profit, using his experience and his business connections to make a real difference in people's lives. And that was extremely motivating to me. And I was able to take in what he said, and it really affected me on a deeper level. And I think that I was able to do that because of the coaching that I've gone through and the reflection on my own cultural biases and really understanding who I am on a deeper level. And I think that we also want to recognize the progress that we make rather than comparing yourself to others, compare yourself to how you were in the past and really acknowledge how you've grown. That's the kind of reflections I've had on the spiritual side of coaching. And it is essential even in business and executive coaching and certainly in intercultural coaching. On to talk about Chie Schuler. We had part one of the interview with Chie last week. She is a coach for Japanese expats and their families who have relocated to the United States. And she has decades of experience acting as a bridge between cultures, starting from when she was a teenager. Some of the highlights from part two are her experiences living on an American military base in Japan and ideas of the culture there, because of course, cultures are not just national and how that military culture was different from other cultures she's experienced. She also talks about how she started helping Japanese expats adjust to life in the U.S. from her time working through another company, and then her recent change to do it on her own as part of her own business. And she also gives tips for adjustment. So without further wait, let's get on to the interview with Jay Schuler. You mentioned that you lived and worked on a U.S. military base in yeah, Japan. Yeah, I so did too. Can mm -hmm. you tell us about that and getting from where you were to there? During college, I met my husband who was in service. We met in the U.S., but then he was sent to Japan and I stayed here to finish school. So we had a long distance relationship. And after I graduated, I joined him. He was stationed in Japan. So I lived in U.S. military base for a couple of years. I've never been to U.S. base before. And to be in that military kind of community also was something new to me. 
I didn't know anybody who was in the service. So the whole experience and the whole culture of the military community kind of functions was really interesting kind of perspective I gained. What were some of those perspectives that you gained? Really, unless you are inside of the military, you never really know what's really going on or what is like to have a family member who is in the military, right? So even in the past few years or since 9-11, America has been in war for a long time. But unless you have a family member, you never really feel or know or realize that we are at the war. People deploy all the time, but then you don't hear about it as much in the news either. The spouses group and how they get together and support each other and so forth. And there's a whole kind of things behind the scene that we don't really see. That's something that I don't think I would ever have learned or experienced unless my husband was in the military side. So I have a great appreciation for all the military personnel, but also for the family members who are supporting for those serving. Yeah, I can see how you develop that deep appreciation of being a family member of someone who was serving. What was one particular thing that you realized about American military culture that really stood out for you? I think it's how tight they were. There are some people who grew up in different countries, but then became a citizen and then serve in the U.S. forces. Also from different regions, different backgrounds, and they're all in the same community and will hang out. And unless you are in that kind of situation, we would never probably met or hang out. But then they're all like tight communities. So I thought that was kind of interesting. And I thought that was neat. You ended up back in the U.S. and working for a global company. Yeah. So my husband finished his assignments. So he got out of military and we could pick pretty much wherever we wanted to go. And we decided to come back to Ohio, where he was from. And then I knew that there is a bigger Japanese communities and the companies in Columbus, Ohio. And that's where my sister-in-law and her family lived too. So we decided to relocate to Columbus. And for the first couple of months, I worked for a Japanese logistics company. And then I quickly realized that wasn't for me. There wasn't much interaction with the people. I didn't have the sense of serving others. And there was a lot of admin work involved. It was really a struggle for me to adjust to that. So then I started looking for something that was better for me. And this happened to have an opening for the local Japanese-owned companies looking for exactly what I wanted to do, which was helping the expat, a Japanese expat relocating to here. So I thought that was a perfect opportunity. And I worked there for another 17 years. Getting that opportunity to act as that bridge like you had when you were a student. And obviously, based on your experiences, you had a lot to offer. What was that like? doing that work. It was really fulfilling. That was exactly what I wanted to do. During the interview, the president said, this is pretty much supporting the Japanese expat and their families for a lot of things are personal things. And a lot of people don't want to do that. Are you okay with that? And I said exactly what I just said. It wasn't something for me. My host family helped me in the United States. So I want to be that guide now, assist them so that they'll be more comfortable living in the United States. What really stood out that these expats needed when they were first arriving in the States? I think it's just the guidance. If they're here for the first time, they just need someone to guide them what they need to do to live in the United States. You have to apply for social security numbers. You have to have a bank account and enroll in insurance and all so forth. Certain things the company HR can take care of. 
that somebody show them this is the step to take, this is the form to fill out, and this is the place you go to, they would know right now there's an internet and there's a lot of information out there. But as you already know, John, some of the informations are not true and some of the informations are outdated. So I think it would help to have some kind of a guide to help them to start the life and teach them about the system so that they can adapt to the new life and then survive. How long did you tend to work with most of these employees who are going through the process? More often until they're settled. Settled meaning they find a place to live. And if they have a family, then registration for the kids, for the school. And then also in the United States, it's common to have a primary care doctor taking that appointments done. But if they have a certain medical conditions or medical appointments needed, or if there's something going on personally, then that was more often more communication than the other. So it really depends on the individual, but general first three months would have more interaction with a new expat. Now, of course, the, during the COVID, that process got longer, but going back to that, how it was before, I think first three to six months is the key. In terms of people who adapted more quickly or more easily than others, were there any kinds of patterns? I haven't really seen the patterns, but most people, especially the spouses, realized that not only that I had to support the families, but then I had a, other responsibilities as well. So it's not like they would call me as a personal assistant. They will call me when it's really necessary, especially for the medical appointments and so forth. And instead of asking me to take care of a thing, they will ask me what I would do or what they should do. I have this issue. I need to go to this store. Where do I go to? Or what should I say when I go to the counter and so forth? So once they get comfortable, then instead of relying on 100% on someone like me, a lot of times they wanted to know how to take care of it. And then when the situation was serious, then they would ask me to help them. So as time went on, rather than asking you, hey, can you do this for me? Can you tell me how to do this, right. how to handle it? So they could do yeah. it on their own. And it shows the age, but... From the time I started, there's a big, huge shift in technology. So nice. that also has changed too. I was make things, materials a lot easier or share the information easier. What advice would you give to someone who is coming to the States to adapt to life there? People are people. So no matter where you go, there'll be a kind of people. There'll be nice people. There's some mean, I would say mean, but they might be just happen to be in a bad place. They might be having a bad day. So don't take it too personally and don't think of it, oh, because I'm in America or because I'm in Canada, things are bad or people are bad. That's not it. Depends on the situation or the person. So don't afraid to communicate with the people. And if you didn't get the response you wanted to get, it wasn't you or you just happened to be talking to somebody who has less patience with somebody who don't speak English fluently. And the fact is not because you don't speak fluently. Maybe that person is not used to it because in Japan, John, you might be familiar with that too. When you have to speak English, it's most of the time the school. And unless you put the correct verb or noun in the correct place, you are told that you're wrong. That's mindset. In Japan, we're taught you have to speak perfectly in order to make sense, but that's not true. They don't really care unless you start talking. They won't know what you want to say or try to communicate. So that's how I like to let people know that it doesn't have to be perfect. You're not publishing a book when you're talking to somebody at the store. 
I think that tip of just not worrying so much seems to really make a difference. One thing I've really noticed that really helps is that term. Nomication, nomication. Nomication, nomication, from communications. Drinking alcohol. Uh (laughs) Obviously, there are people who don't drink alcohol, but I think it's the idea that getting into that relaxed state means that you can communicate much more effectively because you're not worrying about rules. It's just get it out there. And most of the time, most people are going to understand where you're coming from, even if the grammar isn't perfect. It's the message, the intention behind it comes through. Now, I know that you were at that company for 17 years, but I believe you're doing something on your own now. Yes. So as of last April, I left that company and I started my own company to help the Japanese community in the United States. In the Midwest, there's a lot of Japanese-owned manufacturing companies. And a lot of times there's big names too. But smaller companies often don't have the support that they need to guide them how to live in the United States and so forth. So what I would like to try to come up with a program or support for those smaller companies who may not necessarily have a person or the guide to have the first three to six months to help them to adjust their life in the United States, both work and back home home and on daily life so that they would have some kind of onboarding program for the Japanese expats and the families so that they'll be quickly adjust and then live and thrive in the new life in the United States. Because a lot of times those smaller companies are placed far away from the bigger cities where they don't have much information about that in Japanese or they may not have a bigger Japanese communities that could help them too. So I like to help the smaller companies and somebody who is placed in a rural area of the U.S. I would imagine there's much more support on the coast, right? Particularly on the West Coast and in larger cities on the East Coast. The life of the Japanese expat and their families in For example, L.A. or a bigger city like New York City, compared to the life of Japanese expat and their families, let's say smaller town, totally different experience. If those two families switch the place, I'm pretty sure there will be a lot of culture shock because a lot of differences on the support or the resources available for the Japanese communities between those bigger cities and the smaller towns. There's a lot of culture shock even for yeah. people born in the States, yeah, moving from LA exactly. to Ohio, let alone when you're from another country like Japan. Yeah. Having a resource like you, who's been acting as a bridge for so many years, I can see how valuable what you offer would be to these expats. Another thing I would like to add is another motto. Nothing can be perfect. So again, you make a mistake, that's okay, as long as you learn from it. So there's a quote in Japanese, a success come from the failure or the mistakes. And as long as you learn from from it. And that won't be a mistake. It becomes a lesson. And if you share all those lessons with others, and that's more of a merrier. So I always share my mistakes or the funny things that happen to me that we can laugh about it. I see the traits of the Japanese expat and their families because they're chosen for a reason, right? They are very successful. They have successful career in life in Japan and they come to the States and they feel like they have to have that perfect record of speaking and doing work, they put a lot of pressure on themselves. So it's okay not to be perfect and no one expecting them to speak the way the native speaker would be speaking. So nothing or no one can be perfect. And that's the expectation they should have for a lot of customer service or different how other people treat you. You can't really control that. So I wouldn't, because that's stressed them so much too, how they're treated so different from in Japan. If You get mad or stressed because you were expected to be treated in a certain way or the certain things go in a certain way. 
but then didn't go that way. That kind of makes you mad or be stressed about or frustrated. But if you don't have that expectation of the certain way, then it may be not be as stressful. So nothing or no one can be perfect. So have that mindset of kind of, it's okay to be that way. That's excellent advice when adapting to really any culture, realizing things can't be perfect and you're going to have a more difficult time expressing yourself or doing certain things in a new country and just understand that and you'll be able to adapt to it more easily. Thank you so much for your time today. Everything that you shared is so valuable. So for people who want to get in touch with you, what would be the best way? They can connect to their LinkedIn profile. Wonderful. Thank you very much for all you've shared with us today. That was part two of the interview with Chie Schuler. A lot of the reflections on being perfect or how it's not so important to be perfect. We want to be able to communicate just as fluidly as we do in our first language. And it, it can be really, as we all know, can be a bit demoralizing at first when you're limited to speaking almost as a child in the beginning. I think just as Chie herself said, you're not writing a novel. As long as you can communicate your ideas, that's what's essential. Next episode, we are turning back to focus on Canada. Jesus Romero Palacio is a project manager for a nonprofit organization and a newcomer here in Canada. The conversation I had with him was inspirational. He talks about his role as a project manager, how he's developed his English speaking skills, his passion for solving problems and how that applies not just to his work, but to adapting to life here in Canada and the importance of adapting and understanding in a multicultural environment such as Canada. And it's not remembering tips for one particular way of doing things because there are so many different cultures. It can make it extra challenging, but also extra rewarding. The first part of the interview with Jesus will be available this Wednesday on all major podcast platforms. Until then, keep navigating your way between cultures towards your goals. Mm -hmm.